Welcome to episode 3 of the podcast, Murder Shiro. Thank you for joining me. <laughs> it's impossible to say with just words how much I appreciate the fact that you are listening. Um, it's been a while since uh, the last episode. I'm sorry for the wait. I still haven't um, gotten the hang of posting consistently. Yeah, I just... Um, it's difficult sometimes to find time to do this well, so... Yeah. Um, <laughs> so this is episode three. Um, so in this episode, we will continue the story that we have been um, talking about. The events surrounding the 1978 murder of Captain Judy Kambura Angaine. Better. <laughs> yeah I think I think my pronunciation is getting better anyway so in this episode we will I think I'm not really sure how it's going to go but I think this is going to be the last episode about Captain Judy Kambura Angaine and I think it might be a long one because um yeah there's there's a lot to talk about um I'll be doing a small recap just to bring the story up to where we are and then there's just a couple of things I'd like to discuss in this episode. Just two, like, two different things aside from the story. Um, connected to it, but, you know, on top of the story. So I think it might be a bit of a long one. And, um, yeah. But I, th- I think the story is, is still quite interesting. Um, so in episode two, the previous episode, we talked about March 29th. 1978, which was the day before Judy Angaine was murdered. And um, in that episode, we see the events of the day from the errands that Judy was running that morning to coming back home in the evening, um, coming back to Nairobi, that is. Um, she had left Nairobi to run some errands, came back to Nairobi in the evening, um, tried to go meet her dad at his office, but found that he had left for the day. So, but ended up meeting um, her father's colleague, Cabinet Minister Paul Gay, who um, it is reported gave her a lift home and stayed on with her at home. And um, it is then reported that um, Judy's fiance, who's a major in the Kenya Army, her colleague in the army. Major David Kisila, he comes home and finds Judy and and Paul Gay having a drink, and they later on leave and go out. Um, and on the way home, on the way home, on the way to house number sixty-four in Gay Estate where Judy lives, Paul Gay was driving the car and he was giving her a lift back home, and they have an accident. And Judy ends up sustaining some moderate soft tissue injuries and she's seen at the hospital and the end or the end of the day of March 29th finds Judy at home after that incident. And um, yeah, I think we ended the episode where it is reported that she slept well, but you know, she still complained of pain. 
And um, I just want to talk again about the reason that we know all this, the reason that we have so much detail about those two days in the life of Judy Angaine is because after she was murdered, there was a trial, which was basically the state versus David Kisila. So the man who was Judy's fiance, who it is reported, lived with her, had wanted to marry her, had actually gone to see her father to ask for her hand in marriage, and he had said he didn't want his daughter to get married before she was done with um, serving her time in the army. And, um, yeah, but there was still, you know, it seems that they were still very much in a relationship, and um, he's the man who ended up standing trial for her murder, which um, is, I think, a very ironic and unfortunate turn of events. And we also know that eventually he was acquitted. So during this murder trial, many different people um, were called to testify the life of Judy Angaine and the people that she had a relationship with. A number of them, they came under heavy scrutiny and were heavily discussed. So we have a lot of detail about these two days in her life, as well as some particular details about her relationship. And... um, At this point, I think I want to talk a little bit more about that trial. So in that trial, which I said was um, basically, I'm sorry about the the papers rustling in the background. A lot of this um, research I have, you know, printed in paper. I hope this is (laughs) not too disturbing. It's sort of, I'm laughing because it sort of reminded me of of news reports in in the 90s, you know. There used to be, like, you'd hear um, papers rustling, like, uh, you know, after the news. I mean, during the news, because I think they were also reading from, I guess, from printed paper, from from printed sheets of paper, which is what I'm doing. Um, So, yeah, I do apologize for that. I'll get better at this. This one, you know, this story is so big, um, I tried to compress it, and I have a sort of... um, outline of what I want to follow but I keep remembering little details that were in each story so I keep having to go back to the original research to the original like the original stuff that I printed out I'm not a, a journalist I'm not a who else are, would be good at this probably like a historian I'm neither of those I'm just you know somebody that is deeply interested in this story and you know entered a rabbit hole and (laughs) it's lonely over here I want to share this (laughs) I want to bring more people into this rabbit hole (laughs) so that's basically what this this uh, paper rustling is so um yeah the trial was basically the state versus Kisila and the this and they sought to establish that Kisila killed Judy out of jealousy and that he was jealous about um, her relationships with other men. And, well, the defense sought to counter this by saying, well, those other men, each of them could be where Kisila is standing because each of them then has the same motive of jealousy to kill, you know. And um, this is the, this is one thing that I want to talk about in these stories. This, um, you know, the relationships and how 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 
how deep should we scrutinize people's personal relationships? So how deep, what I mean is how deep should we seek to understand people's relationships? Because I found myself wondering why, you know, I can see obviously for them to be able to argue the case, they have to really go deep into this. But for me, as somebody who's telling this story, at some point I was wondering, because it's actually difficult to establish the nature of these relationships and be true to it. So I'm not, I don't, um, I'm choosing to sort of take a non-committal role, you know, in that I don't really know what these relationships were, but um, a lot of them, a lot of the um, accounts paint Judy in a promiscuous light, you know. Um, She was this beautiful woman with a lot of interest from men and she had relationships with all of them and like I said, I think I said this in the first episode, that I leave to everyone who's listening to make their own judgment. Uh, I do not agree. For the sake of not being too controversial, I'll just leave it at that. And I think people can make their own conclusions as to, you know, if, you know. But I think, you know, the, the eventually, ultimately, what you, I guess, conclude does have quite a heavy bearing on the case because, you see, this was the... The basis of the of the case, you know, a lot of the case was um, hinged on the fact that you know she was viewed as this promiscuous woman with a lot of relationships, and I don't know. In the end, I feel that somehow that kind of that sort of thinking sort of makes it you know justified or sort of places some of the blame upon her, like oh, you know, she was in these kind of relationships and. I guess this is kind of a risk of being that kind of a woman. And the reason I say this is because, I mean, in this channel, we're going to be discussing a lot of cases of femicide and the ones that I have already sort of begun to research. This comes up a lot, um, painting women as promiscuous and sort of, I don't know whether to say deserving of what the fate that befalls them or, you know, sort of to blame for it. It's a sort of disturbing aspect of this, and I don't really, I don't know how to view it. Um, but you know, it is obviously a very dangerous thing, a dangerous conclusion to make. Um, and I have to say, a lot of the cases that we are going to discuss are actually unsolved. In fact, I think I have about five or six cases, and of those cases, I've, only very few of them is the person who. Um, the murderer well, you know, known and named and brought to justice very, very few of those cases and I don't know if this is just a, you know, a, a bias of the cases I've looked at but yeah, I don't think it's a coincidence so you know, if if it means that if women are viewed as promiscuous and sort of deserving of being killed and to blame is less effort put to bring into book or bring into book the killers or the murderers or um, giving the families justice, giving that person justice, is less effort put to it, or does it, you know, seem unimportant? Because I, I, I kind of feel, from what I have come across in my research, that this is what I feel is happening. But anyway, so that's that's what I want to talk about. Bring up the case, just introduce the case. That's how that's how the case went, and this is why Judy's relationships were scrutinized so much. So it's like they are trying to really establish that she did have 
quite a strong connection to a number of men enough that the man who was who she was in a you know in a relationship and had plans to marry got so jealous that he killed her um and obviously that did not hold water because in the end it was not proven beyond a reasonable doubt um in fact the only thing that was truly established that we can come out saying is the i think it's called maybe the man of death oh man <laughs> I'm really going to take an L for this one because I should know this but yeah is the way that she was killed which was it was established that she died by manual strangulation and there was also evidence of rape so that we know which is yeah it's it's not a good way to go oh it's heavy it's heavy um yeah So anyway, so in this episode um we've talked so much but I really did want to talk about the events of March 30th which is the day that um Judy was actually murdered and to bring us back to that point where we started in in episode 1 or I mean was it episode 1 or episode 2? I think it was episode 2 where we started with um David Kisila Judy's fiance and her sister Joyce Moire walking into the house and discovering her body so we're going to go up to that point and and go a bit beyond um yeah so March 30th so Kisila and Judy have woken up Judy is still feeling poorly from the night before and Kisila tries to get Judy to agree to go to hospital but she is sort of reluctant she doesn't uh want to go to hospital and um Kisila um it seems that he sort of you know gives up at that point trying to convince her to go to hospital and leaves the house but as we shall see he didn't completely give up it's just at that point he left the house the house is number 64 in Gay Estate and um so two things about that so first i did mess up the house number in episode 2 i had said house number 68 if you happened to have caught that previous episode i'm sorry if you happen to listen to my poor edit of my mistake i'm also sorry um you know editing my editing game is still still working on it still <laughs> you know sometimes it's like you feel i i found that i'd had to redo the episode so much and take it down and i didn't want to take the episode down So that's why I made that little small, you know, band-aid sort of fix. It's very crude. I apologize. I'm getting better. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It'll be better. The other thing is Gay Estate. I haven't made I haven't been able to find the connection between Paul Gay and Gay Estate if there is one. I'm not sure if there's one. If anyone listening knows more history about this, please educate us. Um yeah. I just think that it's strange that you know gay estate Paul gay anyway so um so they wake up uh so Judy has is feeling not too well but doesn't want to go to hospital Kisila leaves he leaves for work so he was headed to the department of defense that's where he worked as Kisila is leaving he sees Judy's driver parking the car outside their house now Judy I think because of her rank in the army had a driver assigned to her and he had come to pick her up and he was um 
a lance corporal patrick gishovi so yeah she was pretty um senior in the army and this is not unusual so the driver told the court that captain angaine was not ready for work as she was still in her night dress she gave him a letter and a key to a safe to take to her boss who was the commanding officer of the women's service corps in isli and her name is major felice ikua in the letter which was read in court judy informed major ikua that she had been involved in an, an accident on her way from nakuru she wrote that she wasn't seriously hurt but was going to report to forces memorial hospital which is now called armed forces memorial hospital for x-rays and then she also added please sign check for me i will see you later judy so this um letter in this letter judy tells her boss that she was in an accident but she says it was on her way from nakuru but from kisila's testimony we hear that the accident had actually been in nairobi later that day actually the the night of that day i mean you know later at night not during the day when she was coming coming from mall or coming from nakuru so it's um unclear why she would say this but in any case she didn't leave with her driver she gave him the letter and the key and and he left without her now um okay So now Kisila in the meantime has gotten to work to the Department of Defense and he had an alibi someone saw him and testified as having seen him at 8:30 a.m. and when he reached work he actually called back home and asked a neighbor to check on Judy and see whether she'd left and um it is reported that the neighbor said that they couldn't tell whether she was in the house or not as the car was still outside and the doors appeared locked So Kisila then come leaves the Department of Defense and drives back to um to their home to Ngei Estate and he found Judy in a worse condition than he had left her and tries again to persuade her to go to hospital This time she said no and said that she was waiting for a visitor at 10:30 Now this visitor was never it was not known who this visitor was that she was expecting it didn't come out in the testimonies for one reason or the other but it seems that this person is probably very much linked to her death because it would probably be the last person if the visit actually did happen this would be the last person who had seen her alive but um It's not known who this person is who Judy was expecting. So and why she would refuse to go to hospital or you know not want to go to hospital even though Kisila reports that she was not uh, looking well or not feeling well. In any case, Kisila leaves the house again and he was actually he went out to look for one of Judy's sisters to try and get one of them to come back home with him and convince and help him convince Judy to go to hospital. So um he first went to um Nairobi Hospital where one of Judy's sisters worked her name is Anne Charity Kananu so he goes to Anne Charity's place of work and he got there some minutes before noon it is reported but she couldn't leave so she suggested to Kisila that um he 
go look for her sister Joyce so another one of Judy's sisters Joyce Moare who worked at Cooper Motors in industrial area and she knew Major Kisila and in fact it is reported that she knew him as Judy's boyfriend and um so at around 12:25 p.m. Kisila arrives at her office in industrial area and told her that Judy was seriously sick and that uh Joyce actually this this is from her own testimony she said that Kisila wanted her to accompany him to go persuade Judy to go to hospital so Kisila told Joyce that he had gone to the house at around 10 a.m. to check on her condition and then he'd also gone to Buruburu estate to take his mother to hospital so Joyce agreed to accompany Kisila back to Ngei to try and get Judy to go to hospital and this is when they drive back to Ngei estate get there but are met with a very um tragic scene they find the floor flooded the floor of the house flooded and on on going in further and getting to the bathroom they find in the bathtub which is full of water the lifeless body of Judy Kamburangaine and this this is heavy this is these two people who have discovered her body are her her boyfriend or fiance and her sister so this is this is probably one of those things you wouldn't wish on on even your enemies and um so we are back to that point and uh yeah that is the the, the sequence of events as it was revealed in the court and like i said the trial sought to establish that um that kisila was the murderer because of all these relationships that judy had and several people um were mentioned as to be you know Kisila's rivals for Judy's love and um a few of them we've already discussed a little bit one of them is Jeremiah Nyaga Jeremiah Nyaga was a cabinet minister at the time a colleague of Judy's father and we mentioned him in the previous episode as it had been alleged that he gave Judy um means to get to Molo because um she needed to go and pick up um some money from the Kenya Farmers Association there so she needed means to get there and it said that it's Jer- Jeremiah Nyaga's car that took her there he denied having given Judy the means to get there he denied having assigned a driver to take her there and this is how the testimony stood in in court and um he also had a really good alibi for the time that Judy uh, was murdered because he was away on official business he was out of the country he was in Rome on official business so he's used all this to distance himself from the case and this is very if it is indeed true that she had all these relationships with all these men it's actually quite sad that they all in the end in court sort of seems to kind of deny her and put distance between them and herself not Kisila specifically actually but these other men who are supposedly his rivals when it, in court it came up they sought to sever any sort of close connection with Judy Angaine aside from the agreeing or admitting that they knew her so that was Jeremiah Nyaga the next um 
individual whose whose relationship with Judy was scrutinized was Paul Gay who had been reported to have been out with her the night before and have gotten into an accident now one strange thing is that so um in court they said he owned five cars and only three cars had been um had been sort of investigated by police or examined by police despite the fact that it is said that um he was in an accident he didn't they didn't seek to find hospital records or establish this fact or you know even maybe examine his body for injuries none of that was done and the defense questioned this uh, in court but uh yeah minister ngai in his part actually let me read this okay so this is what i'm looking for so this is what uh, mr ngai said uh, during his testimony he told the court that he knew uh, captain angaine very well but he denied being with her on the day that um it was said that they went out at night he denied that and he also denied being involved in the accident so this is how it stood and like i said the defense questioned why minister ngai was not looked into why he was not uh, fingerprinted why his prints were not collected why his cars why not, all his cars were not examined despite the fact that it is reported that there was this accident anyway so that's how it stood in court um there was a third man whose relationship also came under close scrutiny with the with the captain angaine and um his name is john livimbi john livimbi the police reservist and he's the father of judy's son livimbi told the court that although he and judy had plans to marry the plans didn't materialize for reasons that were personal to the two of them he was found to have lied in court because he said he had um, not been to judy's house recently but it was found that on valentine's day uh, that's february 14th of 1978 he had delivered her a valentine's day card and um february 14th would be just a little over a month before she would be killed but he had denied this and this is what i mean that and but he was found to have been lying because i don't know how they found out that she got this valentines card from him but they did and the court actually the the presiding judge expressed having had a most unfavorable impression of Mr. Livimbi he just thought that this guy seemed really dishonest and he expressed this and um this is just i think one of the examples that made the judge even say that you know um the fact that he lied in court but this is what i mean that the men that she was supposedly you know having these serious relationships that threatened her own you know real main relationship all these men ended up just disowning her that really disturbed me when i was going through the the stories i'm like hmm very very disturbing indeed i mean i understand nobody wants to be suspected of being a, a murderer of of having murdered someone but i just i just questioned where the loyalty was man <laughs> that's just all i thought um anyway 
you know i don't know maybe in that situation i'd also deny someone anyway you know even peter denied jesus but yeah you know it's it's just it's just not a good look <laughs> it's not a good look um anyway it's it's much deeper than that obviously um but it's something that really disturbed me about about this particular case and um so anyway the evidence was presented um the witnesses were called and in the end like i said david kisila was acquitted he was found not guilty and nobody else was charged with murder there was no other trial in connection to the murder of judy angaine and it's unsolved to date and um i guess that's the end of the story that's that's where it gets to um the thing about this podcast i like happy endings but uh, these stories will end up being having quite quite a heavy ending like like that one like i think the case um this case was you know very prominent news in the year 1978 but over the years it seems to have faded every now and then there'll be an article about the story and um the angles are different like i said there's sometimes the story is mentioned as a footnote when talking about the life of Paul Gay in which it is talked about that he was adversely mentioned in this case and this and that but doesn't really give too much detail obviously when the story is about Paul Gay there are a few accounts that you can find online nation actually had two stories that's nation media group there's one on the website that's called owa.com in the show notes of episode 2 i've stated all the sources all my sources for the story and owa.com is another one they did a really good account of um of this of this um this story and um yeah i encourage you to, to go into the rabbit hole yourself and see and um i don't know what to say about this story i think um it, i i wanted to make this the first episode of the podcast because this is actually the story that led me to being interested and looking into stories like this so you know this is where the threads sort of began to emerge and i wanted to do this as a first story but i actually don't know how to end it because it's like so there it is this young woman was murdered in 1978 she was the daughter of a very prominent cabinet minister she was in her own account an accomplished army captain and it never sits right with me this this story um you know i feel like it's one of those that will always just niggle at me <laughs> forever and i'm completely fine with that but yeah i'm sorry for i don't i, I don't like to transmit that feeling of like okay so what now that's the story that's it but yeah actually that's it that's the story um Okay, I can do a little happy ending. Let's see. Um there was something about Kisila. Kisila Kisila himself. Oh, here we go. So, um the postmortem 
The post-mortem showed that Judy had been killed sometime between 10.30 a.m. and 11 a.m., which is again makes you think about the testimony of Kisila where he had said that Judy had said someone is coming to visit her at 10.30 and it's not known who that is, but I don't know, somehow I find that hard to believe, you know, like I'm trying to put myself in that situation. I'm talking to my significant other about someone coming to visit them and, you know, even just on their part, them not talking about who it is, especially if it's someone we both know, maybe if it was that person or whoever it was that was would be there. Um, you know, it's it's hard to imagine that they didn't know who it was, but it seems that is the person who was responsible for the murder. And uh, there were no signs of forced entry, which, you know, supports that. But there was evidence in the bedroom of a physical fight. And whoever had murdered Judy must have suffered some sort of injuries, however minor. It was found that Kisila had none. So on November 1st in 1978, the court acquitted Major Kisila of the murder. He was reinstated to his military position and continued to have a successful military career, rising up the ranks to Lieutenant Colonel. I really wish I had much more um, to say about this because it just, it feels that, um, this story just gives me that feeling of just, just, you know, that feeling you get when you feel there has been no justice, you know? Why did they destroy the life of this woman and then... Her mother has just joined a long line of unsolved murders. And they have accumulated since that time. And it truly, truly is a tragedy what happened. But that's the story. And um, I just want to end by saying, Judy Kamburangaine, I hope you are resting in peace somehow. Yeah, so I guess... That is to be expected of, of a podcast like this, like the stories are going to end kind of like this, because like I said, a lot of them are of this nature, they are unsolved. The feeling of injustice is heavily present. But I think I think it's important to talk about them, to highlight them, to, to make them part of, of conversation in, in some way. Um to have them come out of obscurity. So I have a feeling because, you know, this story is very dear to me and I'm at the beginning of making this podcast, so I obviously haven't done a very good job. I haven't been podcasting for long. My sound editing is still a little sketchy. I will at some point revisit this story, polish this up and do a good do a good episode. You know, do a good, do the story, do the story a little more justice than I feel that I have been able to do at this time, but I did really want to talk about this and, um, you know, bring some more people into the rabbit hole. Um, so yeah, 
I hope it won't be too long before episode 4. We're going to start on a new story. Um I have some idea about who it's going to be but who it's going to be about but I won't say just yet. There are some photos, new photos on the Instagram. Please check them out. They are interesting. I own none of them and I've put the credit there in case you want to go read the stories around those photos because that's also, you know, another rabbit hole. But yeah, I saw someone who listens to the podcast say he is learning history and I was like, wow, that made me feel really you know, happy, flattered, all good things just because, yeah, I always think that it's important. Uh, for me, learning learning my history or learning, which is a continuous process, I'm still doing it, it's helped a lot in my own personal growth and I feel that it's the same for many different people, I think. So to be able to um, share some of this history and talk about it is is a privilege um thank you you know yourself thank you very much (laughs) thank you and um yeah so check out the instagram there are pictures there thank you for listening i will catch you on episode four happy new year i hope 2021 brings you love peace and success